Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, my friend, this is Mike Cameron, and you are watching the Amato Podcast. So who is Joe Scafo? So that's my legacy story. I think leaders need to be thoughtful. Doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. All right, and here we are today. We're talking with Rocky Romanella. I love that name. He's an experienced CEO, keynote speaker, executive advisor, an expert in customer service and leadership development, a uh, true storyteller. Uh, if you if you haven't been on YouTube, go on YouTube and search for him. Um, great videos. Uh, welcome. I appreciate you today. Oh, Ryan, it's a pleasure to be on the on the call with you here today, and I look forward to our discussion. Could you give me a little background on on you? Oh, thanks. I'll try to keep it short. Uh, over forty years of business. I started out ironically. Uh, went to college to be a high school history teacher and a baseball coach. Oh. And uh, that's how it started. And uh, but I needed to work my way through school. And my dad, rest his soul, said, "One of my kids is going to college. You're the oldest, but we got no money." So uh, UP, I started working at UPS unloading trailers part time. It was a way for me to work my, you know, work my way through school and pay for my tuition. So that's how I started out. Really, wasn't sure I was ever going to stay at UPS because I wanted to be a high school history teacher. But what I found out as I was working at UPS as a part-timer is that the best leaders that I engaged with and the people I really started to gain respect for were those individuals who could get their people to connect the dots. So they really were coaches and teachers. And I thought to myself, well, maybe my classroom will just be different. It'll be in business versus being inside the traditional classroom. So I never gave up my passion to coach 
never gave up my passion to teach. I just did it in a different classroom. And so uh, quickly, UPS had a promotion from within policy. My dad, rest his soul, told me two things when I uh, got my job at UPS. He said, hey, whatever they ask you to do, say yes and thank you, and then learn your job and learn some more. And so as I was working my way up through UPS and taking advantage of this promotion from within process, you know, as they tapped me on the shoulder, all I could hear my dad say, hey, just say yes and thank you. OK, if you think I'm the right guy, OK, we can do that. So uh, and the thing I learned through that, Ryan, and I think it's such was such an important lesson for me as a leader. And I think it's such an important lesson, whether as an entrepreneur and as a leader is there are going to be times when you have to believe in your people until they're ready to believe in themselves. It's like the day you you know, it's like the day your son became the starting position player. And then at that, you know, he may, he may have been nervous. He may have been excited. He may have been anxious, but the coach believed in him until he was ready to believe in himself. Then he had some successes. And the next thing you know is he could play. He, he had confidence in himself. It's the same in business. You believe in your people. And so someone believed in me well in advance of me believing in myself at UPS. And then there gets that point where it's kind of like you get to that break even point where your skills, your experience, your knowledge, you're starting to take over on your own. And then there's a point where you just fly. And that's when good leaders step back and they don't overmanage. You know, you and I were talking before, I mean, you're at the point now where you have some wonderful people working for you and, and they're running the business on your behalf. Well, the best thing you do at that point is you become the coach, cheerleader, good job, keep up the good work, thanks for all you do. So I think that that's some of the lessons I learned. And then uh, we had an acquisition spree at UPS. We acquired Mailbox, et cetera, which we now rebranded to the UPS store. I had that as a direct report. So it gave me a chance to work with some of the most wonderful entrepreneurs. I really gained some great insight into that entrepreneurial spirit. However, I was not an entrepreneur at that time. And so I just had some great learning, some great knowledge. And I'll tell you, Ryan, I have some of the greatest respect in the world for entrepreneurs. I don't know if I could do it the way you did when you started your business or the way they did it, right? So for me, that's where I have some of the greatest respect. As as a person working in a large corporation like UPS, you always had that big brown machine behind you. So you may have P&L responsibility, but as I've learned, no one has more all in than a small business owner, right? Because you hit the cash register at night, pay your people, pay your vendors. What's left is what you take home for your family. That's all in, right, Ryan? Right. And so, yeah. So then we, we, we bought about 20 companies. I integrated those companies uh, 55 with 36 years, retired at UPS and then got recruited to be a CEO of a telecom company right there in Bluebell, Pennsylvania. We built cell towers, upgraded cell towers, had a sale there, and then um, then started my own company, 360 Services. So I guess you could argue or say the thing I failed the most at in my business career is retirement. <laughs> what, were, what were you essentially uh, responsible for at UPS? So uh, I was a region manager at the end of president. And so I ended up, I had regional responsibilities. My largest region was the Southeast region. We had uh, probably over 80,000 employees, probably about two or 3 billion in revenue at the time, that time. So uh, had that, that responsibility, I had responsibility for mailboxes, et cetera, then, then becoming the UPS store. That was a direct report to me. And then I had this side of the world. Once we integrated with the companies we purchased from supply chain solutions, then uh, th th I had this side of the world. So I had everything on this side of the hemisphere for UPS on the supply chain side. Uh, one struggle now for companies is hiring, um, r regardless of the virus issue right now. But in general, and we saw a change in our company as well. We used to put an ad out. We would get, uh, you know, 100 people apply a couple of years ago. 
Uh, we put an ad out today and we're getting, you know, a tenth of that. Um, what did you do when you were looking for, for new, fresh um, employees that would fit your culture? Well, I think the, I think you just really had the key word culture. And I think that's what, I mean, I stayed, you know, I was at UPS for 36 years. I tell people all the time, I didn't agree with everything that happened at UPS. I just didn't disagree enough to leave. They never asked me to violate a policy or break a law. I felt like my values fit. And I think that's the same thing when you're looking to hire and people have to understand what are the values, what, you know, what are the ethics, what are the, what are the things that are important to you as the owner of your business? And you are a small business owner, so you, you, no one knows that better than you. And so as I'm a, applying for that job, I'm really, what you're trying to teach, show me is what are, what's the culture of this company and do I fit? And I think that's what's so important because when people feel like they fit, they get through difficulties without leaving because they know they fit. They may not be happy with the decision. They may say, well, I would have done it differently or I'm not, I'm not happy about this decision, but I feel like I fit. I feel like my values and ethics match up. And I think that cultural piece is such a, a huge piece. And I think the second thing when it comes to small businesses, I think if you, I always tell small business owners, I get this opportunity now in this business I'm in, I started now, we do a lot of consulting with small business owners. I always tell small business owners, your strength is your weakness, right? Your strength is nobody knows the business better than you do. No one's more all in than you are. Nobody cares about your business more than you do. What's your weakness? Nobody's more all in than you. Nobody understands the business better than you do. So if you think about that, you, you I think people are excited about working for a small business owner. I think the problem with small business owners is when, when you're about ready to hire me, you apologize for being a small, you know, we're just a small business. You're more than that. I mean, you think you think uh, Be Bezos knows where everybody inside Amazon? I don't think so. You think he's walked? He's, you know, look about these guys that are running around being undercover boss. You don't have to be undercover boss. You're you're cheers. Everybody knows your name. So that's a huge advantage when you hire. So don't ever apologize for being a small business owner. And that's the strength you have. People want to people say, "Hey, I work for Ryan. He's the owner of the company. How cool is that?" That's a strength, I think, that we sometimes, I think, don't ever apologize for that. And I think you'll get the top talent because people do want to work in a place where they feel valued. Uh, talking about culture, and this isn't even, I told you we were going to probably go off the cuff here. Talking about culture, um, for a company like UPS, which I would assume their busy time is, is the holidays. Yeah. And for a company like mine, a painting company, where our busy time is the summer, do you, do you, do you, are you steadfast on that culture when you're hiring people and having people around you? Or do you, do you have to, to maybe bend that culture a little bit because you need those people to, to operate every day who maybe aren't the best fit for your company at that time? You know, that's a, I got to tell you, Ryan, I've done over a hundred interviews and that is one of them in the, in the last year. That is one of the most thoughtful, insightful questions anyone's ever asked me. Well, thank you. I, that is a great question. And I think why it's such an important question is because I believe that each leader in each business has to answer three questions. The three questions are, who am I? What do I stand for? And what are the things I won't compromise? And as you think about that, so you know who you are in your painting business, you know what you stand for, but what are the things that you won't compromise? And as you answer that question, that'll answer the question you just asked me. If integrity and safety are values that I will never compromise, then when you're looking to uh, 
when you're looking to hire those individuals that help help you, for example, in that period when you're really busy, you still never compromise on safety and integrity. Did, did they do the job the way we said we were going to do it? Do I have integrity of my word with the customer? Are they, are they following all the safety regulations we have in our business? That's By answering those three questions and knowing who you are as a company and who you are as a leader, you'll never violate them. If you know you'll never violate those key things, safety, integrity, whatever they are in your business, you know, uh, maybe there's a, in your world, there's an environmental, you're never going to dispose of, you know, you know, some of the paint that's not used or whatever it is. I mean, you know what those things are that you'll never compromise. And so therefore, when you're hiring that temporary employee or you're hiring that employee for that peak, you still never compromise those things. So I, that's a great question. Like I said, no one's ever asked me that. It's a great question. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, in a large company like UPS or any large company, how did you go about recognizing uh, the employees? How do you know it, uh, what's going on down on the floor or down in the trucks or uh, wherever you're working at? Well, it's, it's, it's the old, uh, it's the old Neil Diamond. I am, I said, right. So I am, so if I am, I said, this is who I am as a leader. This is what I said I would do. And the way you follow that up is you get out of your office and you walk around. And some of the best leaders are those leaders that walk the talk, they get out there. And so you see who they are and they are what they said they were going to be. The problem is, is, you know, the reason why a leader doesn't leave his office, cause there's no problems in his office. But if I leave that office, when you leave your office and you go to a job site, you're prepared to understand that there could be something here that I have to correct. There may be something here that I have to have that difficult conversation with someone about. I may have to interact with that customer who we may have had a problem with, right? But you're willing to accept that responsibility and have that difficult conversation. If you don't want to have that conversation, then you never leave your office. You've you say, hey, to somebody else, hey, go get take, go take care of this, you know, and, and that, that's that's where mistakes happen. And and so I think and that's where, you know, that culture doesn't get driven down. So you lead by example and you you walk the talk. And I think that's what's so important. Now, what that allows you to do is the first part of your question, the recognition part. You know, you want to recognize people at that frontline level. So I think each supervisor and manager has to understand that recognition is something that's so important. Sometimes it's a simple thank you. It's you as the as you as the owner coming down and saying, "Hey, Rock, nice job yesterday. Thanks for coming in. Appreciate all you do on behalf of our business." Simple note, "Hey, Rocky, thanks for everything you do." Those little simple things like that, Ryan, go a long way with people. And so it's just a it's now you know in a big company you have simple recognition that happens at the front line, and and I think as a leader when someone in your care. Someone, you know, I never say people work for me. I always say people are in my care. So, the, so for the people in your care, you know, and you see someone that's a supervisor or manager and you see them recognizing people, then you recognize them to let them know that's the behavior that we want in this company. We want people to be recognized. So you have recognition at the frontline level. And then, of course, in a larger company or you may have recognition inside your organization that, you know, now someone became that informal leader, you may recognize them. And so there's that more formal recognition that could happen. It could be safe work days. Hey, you want to thank everybody. We've gone, you know, 75 days without an injury or an accident, 150 days, whatever, you know, I want to give everyone, you know, here's a gift card to take your wife or your, your significant other spouse out to dinner. So those are all the things you can do on a more formal basis, but then there's nothing you know what that's like. It's like, you know, when you're playing ball, it's like when that coach looks at you and goes, hey, nice job yesterday, man. I was really proud of you. It that goes a lot. long way. Yeah, it goes a long way. 
I remember when I first was working at UPS and I was, a, you know, just got promoted to supervisor and I went home, I told my mom, I said, I, I think district manager is like the person who runs that geography. And they were at those days, they were sort of like, that's it. That's the big boss, right? You would, And I remember I said, I think he knows my name. He called me kid. And I'm thinking, <laughs> so no matter what level you're at, that recognition that someone may know who you are and what you're doing on behalf of the organization just goes a long way. Now, uh, obviously, we're in customer service, and this is what you're you're an expert at. Uh, a company struggling with customer service, uh, which we've had our struggles. What would you look at for yourself to come in and try to correct that? Well, I think the first thing is you, you look at you know what what are the values of the organization? Like, what's written down? that everyone understands to be, you know, this is our game plan. This is who we are as an organization. You know, if you think about, think about a sports and now we're both sports guys and we both have kids that are into sports. So think about it from this perspective. You know, if, if you're a baseball team, people know that, are you a small ball team? You're moving the runner over or are you the home run? Are you the Yankees? You're going to hit a three run homer. Everything is going to be the three run homer. Well, people are, you you based on pitching, you based on, you know, hitting you, so once you know that, uh, so that's your, that's who you are as a team. That's your game plan. Well, that's the first thing I look at when I go in an organization, like who are you when it comes to customer service? What's articulated to the whole organization? You know, so if I'm on your team, I know if I, if I'm, you know, if I'm a small ball hitter, I know my responsibility is to move the runner over. Then I know that, right? I don't have to guess it. I know it. Well, it's the same inside an organization. Do we all know what role we play? Do we know what we're trying to achieve as an organization when it comes to our interaction with the customers? And it's not something I'm guessing. I know it. I know that Ryan is not going to be happy if at the end of the day, I did not clean up the room. Right. I left. The, right. I mean, I know, I know I'm coming back tomorrow, but we, we we fold up, you know, all of our materials. We sweep before we leave. This is what good looks like. And he's told this is what he's told us. This is what good looks like. And so I know what good looks like. I think that's what that's what I look for. Does everyone clearly understand their roles and responsibility and what we're trying to accomplish as an organization? And you, you tell a great story. I'm going to ask you to tell in a little bit um, about Hershey. The Hershey factory um, and, and thinking like a customer. And it's kind of what I, I, I tell our guys here is, is, you know, what if that was your home, you know, that we're walking into, would you, would you like them to leave everything just out for the next day and your kids are walking over drop cloths and there's dust all over the cabinets and things like that. Um, could you, could you tell us the story about the Hershey factory? Yeah, thanks for asking. Yeah, so as a kid growing up, as you know, you and I talked, I grew up in Jersey. And uh, so our big vacation in those days was going to the Hershey factory. And now you can tell, you know, obviously after 40 years of business, you know, I'm, you know, you know, you can kind of guess my age. And so uh, in those days, the Hershey factory was actually the live factory. You actually toured the factory and you, it was kind of under glass almost. And you would see the pe people making the chocolate. And as a kid, it was just such an awesome experience, you know, to see them making the chocolate live. And, and as a kid, it was just a great experience. Later on, as, as I was managing a very large facility in Chicago, Illinois, our, and that time was our largest, one of our largest facilities, I'm walking through the facility and I stopped for a second and I thought, wow, that Hershey story, imagine if my customers walked walk through this operation, would they ever ship a package again? I mean, think about it. we walked through that Hershey factory and 
the people were working. They were doing their jobs. Hershey had to have so much confidence in their people and their people were doing all the right things. And none of us walked out and said, Hey, did you see that person? They, you know, they were doing this or doing that. Or so to me, I thought about, wow, I have to run my operation as if it's my Hershey factory that, that a customer could walk in at any time and ship a package and they would be proud to give me their packages based on how I'm handling their packages. And so from that point forward, I challenged all the people who, in my care, whatever job I had to create their own Hershey factory. You know, you, you, you know, think about people always, always say, right, you, you never want to walk into the kitchen of a restaurant. Well, in our world now, what we're saying, you and I are saying, no, 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 we, we want you to come through the kitchen. We want you to be proud to walk through the kitchen. And then you're always going to want to eat in our restaurant because we, we, we created that Hershey factory. So for me, that was my aha moment that, wow, I've got to create a Hershey factory in everything I do. And, and the customer has to want to come in at any time unannounced and they're going to want to ship a package with us again. And I just want to add to your story. So, uh, as a side business, as I have extra time now, I sell books. So I ship a lot of books and I like to ship the books myself because I like to take care of them. I don't ship them to Amazon to do it. I do it myself. So it leads me to a lot of back rooms at another, I don't want to say who it is, but it's not Amazon and it's not UPS. I have seen the care of packages that you would never even want to, to, to know about um, that just, I couldn't believe it. I, I didn't even have enough time to videotape it. It was just horrendous that the way they took care of people's packages. Um, I literally saw a truck open up the back rolling gate and they were taking bags of packages and just just throwing them. I mean, it had to be 10, 15 feet, just throwing them on the ground. It was amazing. So that just adds to your story that, um, you know, if that's what they're doing when they don't even think that I'm there uh, or when they know I'm there, right. what are they what are they doing when we're not there? Well, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because that's the, so for me as a leader, as you're starting to get, you know, up in these organizations that are so large, you know, you have to find ways to double check in your mind that things are going well. So I would go visit an operation. And, and so the thing I'm looking for is this is as good as it gets. So if the facility is, is, is a little bit messy or if there's packages on the floor or if people are not, you know, if people are, you know, not walking, but they're running to their next location, then you have to think to yourself, well, this is as good as it gets. You know, the, the, the president of this region is here. And so what's it like when I'm not here? I mean, who, who invites someone over to their house and says, hey, leave the place a mess? No, you clean it up. No one says, let's leave the place a mess. So that's a great point you bring up is that that's as good as it gets. And so I think as, as a leader, those are the things that you're looking for. Hey, you know, you, you're going to go visit a job site and you get there and it's, and it's not the way you, you like it to be. It's not buttoned up. And, you know, we, you start to think to yourself, well, they know I'm coming and this is as good as it gets. What happens when I'm not here? So that's a great point you bring up. Uh, managers can are the are people born good managers or can they be developed? Uh, could you take somebody right off the street that you just hired um, and make them a, into a great leader? Well, so I'm I'm of the belief that leaders are made, not born, I'm, and that's a controversial subject. And I and the reason why I think that that's true is because I'm not sure that when I was born, anybody would have thought when I was in grammar school that I was going to be who I am. So I mean, I don't. 
I don't think the Lord touched me on this forehead and said to St. Peter, hey, send him out to be a good leader. I, I, I think you're made. I think the key, though, is, and it's something I think that we talk, I talk a lot about in this topic of succession planner, succession planning is as a leader, you can't want more for your people. This is the jersey of me having a hard time. I make sure I say it right. <laughs> You can't want you, you you when you want more for your people than they want for themselves, it doesn't match. That's the key. Like so you may identify someone who you think in your organization as your develop as your organization's growing, and now you've come now you're up to the next number of crews and the next number of crews. And before you know it, you're saying, Well, I got these four crew leaders. Now I have to put a manager, you know, to manage the four crew leaders. Well, one of those four crew leaders cool leaders you may think is the right person for that job, but you want it more for him or her than they want it for themselves. That's when the disconnect happens. It has nothing to do with their skill or their confidence. They just, they don't view themselves that way. And so that's where the disconnect comes sometimes. And I think, so to answer your question, I think leaders are developed. I think leaders are made over the course of time. And I think, but they have to want that desire to be that type of leader. Now, interestingly enough, I think we're all leaders. I just think that some of us are more uh, individual leaders or, you know, so even though you may be that, you know, person who sits in, you know, is in a machine shop and says, I'm not, I'm not a leader, I'm an individual contributor, but, but you'll notice that everybody comes over and talks to them. You probably got that person in your organization that says, I'm not a leader, I'm not running the crew. But every new person you hire walks over to them and says, hey, how do you cut this in, you know, and how do we set up the, the you know, the whole scaffolding system so it's right? And so they'll say they're not a leader, but by the way they conduct themselves, they are really an informal leader. So we're all leaders at one time or another. It's just whether we want to be that out front leader or whether we're the individual contributor. But when you decide that individual contributor should be the leader and they don't want to be that leader, that's when you lose them. That's when the disconnect happens. And that's when you start to have that problem. So, so, so that's, I think that's when, when this whole concept of leaders learning and being made and developing starts to struggle with it. Cause you, you know, it's like the, you know, it's like the, you got, you always got a person on the bench that bat sixth or seventh or whatever. And the minute you put them in a the number four slot, they never look as good as they did at six or seven. I mean, it's just a fact, you know, when, when you were the, at the top, uh, who would you go to as a mentor well, or, or just to, or just to throw your thoughts past them? Well, there's always a couple key people that you that you trust. I, I, I would say, I, ironically, my wife, Debbie, has always been that, inspir you know, kind of in my adult life. My dad, you know, I think, you know, I've, you know, has passed away. But, you know, in my childhood, he was always such an important part of my life. But, but Debbie was always that, you know, kind of logic tech when I'd come home at night, I'd be like, well, you know, something's not right here. Uh, but there's always that one or two people. I worked for a couple of very great people who were, who were wonderful to me, who I could bounce ideas off of. And then when I took on that role as a CEO, there was an individual who was that person you can call at seven o'clock in the morning and say, hey, I mean, this is crystal clear to me. I mean, but I got to tell you, people are looking at me. Like, I have no clue what's going on here. So what am I missing here? So I think that you've got to find those individual people that you can talk to, uh, run ideas by. Uh, the other thing is I think people have to have to know about you that you're open to, 
look, there's an appropriate way to have a conversation. There's a, there's a professional way to disagree, but you're open to those things. I mean, to me, I always liked when someone would knock on the door, come in and say, Hey rock, you got a minute. Yeah. What's up? Hey, I know this is what you're thinking. I know this is what you believe everybody's hearing, but let me tell you, they're not really hearing it that way. Hmm. And that was important to me because, you know, the, the biggest thing I did know was what I didn't know. And so I would always say, Hey, okay, well, I need to know this because you know, I want, I want to understand what's going on. So you create the tone from the top as the leader that sets that tone that I'm willing to hear that, you know, what I'm doing isn't connecting, or maybe this isn't the right way to go. So I think that that's, that's, what's important. Um, in, in the customer service business, um, you know, we all get those pain in the neck customers. Uh, they're just irrational. Um, they won't bend. Uh, is the customer always right? Well, I mean, I mean, there are times when uh, there are t there, there are those set of few customers that you sometimes say to yourself, the best, you know, the good news, you know, is they left. The bad news is they left, but the good news is they left too. You know, my grandmother, rest, my grandmother used to always say, sounded better to Italian Ryan. You invite me, you do me one favor. You don't invite me, you do me two favors. You know, kind of thing. But no, I think you always start out with with the desire and effort to uh, to retain all your customers and grow with your customers. But but there's going to be that time where there's a certain percentage of customers, probably small with the way you do your business and, and how good you are with customer service, that maybe that number is small. But there are going to be those customers that at some point you're just you just you're better off moving on from than creating a, a, a problem that that is not good for them or good for you. But you always try and, and, and try to kind of work through that. I will tell you, it's an interesting like kind of. Uh, yeah, uh, law of uh, unintended consequences, maybe, and that's that. It's funny, you you know. I'll, I'll use a UPS example if I could for a second. We we could deliver a million packages, but there's one customer. I'll just use you as an example. So you're the one customer that we had a late next day air package to. Chances are, I'll tomorrow I'll deliver a million packages again on time. But I'll probably miss yours for some reason. For whatever reason, once you get in a bad role, right, with you, it's like the baseball player that's a great baseball player but can't hit this one pitcher. And you're thinking to yourself, how is that possible? You you hit against Hall of Fame pitchers, but yet this guy, person here, you can't hit against. And it's kind of the same thing. And so once you recognize that, you know, this is the customer I'm starting to have a service disconnect with, crazily more than I sh probably should, you got to recognize that, you know what, I, I, I got to get this thing solved sooner rather than later, because it's just not going to go away. I've got to mm -hmm. get on top of it. So maybe that's where, you know, you know, one of your managers follows up on it. And, you know, for, for us, or maybe it's just me as an owner, uh, you know, we, you, you just mentioned it as well. I could have, you know, we do, you know, 500 great reviews. And then you get that one bad review that, you know, they didn't clean up or they didn't do this and it was horrible. And, you know, we fixate on that bad one. And I, and I totally forget about the 500 over other good ones over there or all the other great jobs that we're going to do in the meantime. So that's not a good thing either. Um, and like we said, um, the customer's not always right on our end, but uh, we try to, we try to, you know, wow them. So you, you also talk about um, thinking like a customer with customer service. Could you tell us about that? Yeah. So in my uh, concept, and it's, I talk a lot about it in the book, uh, I have this concept of balanced leadership. And for me, balanced leadership is you, you, when you're making all your decisions or, you know, you want to think like a customer, you want your people to feel like valued individuals, 
but you want to act like an owner in all the things that you do. And so as you're thinking like a customer, you want to make sure your people are feeling like they're an important part of the, you know, the solution. They're not part of your problem. They're part of your solution. But then if you can get them to act like an owner. So, so do you, so as an owner, you know, when you're in that, when you're in that home and you're doing, you know, you're doing your job well, you're cleaning up because you're the owner, but well, how do we get our people to think like an owner? If this was their business, would they do those things? And, and so your ability to get them to feel like they're part, they're an owner, like they're part of the decision making process is so important. And it starts with, okay, how do I treat you as a, as an individual inside our organization? Do they realize that, you know, do you realize that the things that you do are so important and I realize it. And so I let you know, and then it moves up to the first part, which is thinking like a customer. Okay. If you, as a, to your point, if this was your home, you know, how would you, how would you want us to leave that home? How would you want, you know, do, do I walk in with the booties on? Do I make sure my feet are clean? What are all the things that you do that, that you're acting like thinking like a customer, but you're feeling like a valued individual inside that organization, but you act like an owner. And when you act like an owner, you make different decisions. And I think that's, what's important. I think the other thing is, is that the brand, your brand is executed by the people in your care. You could have the greatest vision and view of your brand and your brand promise, but it's executed by those people who are in the home or in that commercial establishment performing the work on behalf of your organization. And, and to the degree to which you get them to understand how important they are and then they're the brand. You know, I, when I would move around the country, I moved to short to what, nine times, I think, with UPS around around the U.S. And, I, you know, Debbie's, Debbie's much more personable and she'd meet everybody in the neighborhood. She'd say, say hey, we're going out Saturday night to to meet the neighbors. And I'm like, why are we meeting these people for? We're going to move again. If we don't meet them, we don't have to say goodbye. Nobody will be sad. Nah, nah, we're going to go meet the neighbors. So we go meet the neighbors and people would say, well, who do you work for? How'd you, you know, how'd you get transferred? I said, oh, I work for UPS. And, and then they would, the next question they would ask me would make me the proudest. And they would say to me, Hey, do you know my driver? And, and to me, that let me know that the driver is the best part of UPS. It's not me or you know, the CEO at the time, it's, it's that individual who's closest to the customer. So inside any organization, the degree to which you can get everyone inside your organization to understand what our brand is, what our brand promise is, what are we trying to accomplish inside our organization? That's what cements the brand. And so if you think about the question you asked before, the other way you, you help that customer who's struggling or you seem to have that disconnect with as an organization is if you can solve things at its lowest level at that front line, if, if those, if that crew that's in that home or that crew that's in that, you know, commercial establishment that's doing the work on behalf of the organization, if the people, if, if your customer feels comfortable with them, they're going to be comfortable with you. That's exactly it. And that's, that's what we, we, we try to do every day. Well, well, that's the key. It's, it's what you try to do, man. And as long as you don't give up trying, you'll you'll get there. <laughs> and you'll is that there. by doing all that is is that essentially how you're going to blow the customer away? Yes, because because what happens is the service disconnect that happens. You know, then they're the so. So let me take a step back. True empower true empowerment is when people discipline themselves. So if you think about it, if I'm that, if I'm working for you and I'm inside of, 
that that home or that commercial establishment and you know and I'm doing the work on behalf of the organization and there's a mistake or something happens and a customer's not happy I'm empowered because I I'm upset that they're not happy so before it even gets to you I'm apologizing I'm saying oh I'll, I'll make this right let's work on it okay I understand that's true empowerment and when when your people feel empowered they discipline themselves and my example would be the the hockey goalie, right? You know, the old years ago commercial when the goal went in, you know, you gave the kid the lifesaver or whatever. Well, if you go up to the goalie and you say, hey, oh, you know, before you even get to the goalie, he's saying to you, I can't believe it. I let that goal in. I'm better than this. Well, you don't need to pile on. You you need to give him the lifesaver. Hey, it's okay. It's all right. We're going to get this. But if you walk up, to, if you get up to the goalie and he says to you, yeah, defense is terrible. No one's doing their job. I'm the only one that's killing myself. Stop right there. That that's not an empowered person. That's a pr- so when you have empowered people that they're disciplining themselves. They're telling you about the problem. You know, they're calling you up on the ride back home from the job. Hey Ryan, here's the problem we had today. This is what I this is what I said to the customer. I'll make it right tomorrow or we're going to have to do this. I'm really sorry. Well, when he when he or she says they're really sorry, what do you say? Hey, it's okay. Mistakes happen. Let's just fix it. Let's just clean it up. Let's just do what we need to do. You got my support. That changes the whole dynamic. It's when the customer thinks you're blaming them for, for the problem or you're not recognizing their side of the story is when it just, it just starts to spiral out of control. Mm. Uh, you also talk about the pyramid of success, which is John Wooden. Can you uh, elaborate on that for us? Coach Wooden is just an amazing person. And I had the, the great pr- privilege and honor, and if you get a chance, Ryan, on our website, I actually have a, I spent four hours with them. In, oh, wow. In, uh, yeah, 2000. I, I interviewed him for a UPS conference. And uh, there's my one-hour one interview with him on my uh, on my website, if you get a chance. It's under, uh, it's under, my, uh, it's under Coach's Corner, and it's a John Wooden interview. But John Wooden was just an amazing, amazing man. Uh, he had his pyramid of success. And ironically, he was a teacher. And uh, so he built a pyramid of success, not for sports. He built a pyramid of success for what he believed were those skills that students needed to become better people and become better students. And it was interesting because he built it because as he would talk to parents about how their children were doing in school, and he would say, well, well, your child's doing a very good job, uh, you know, and they're really doing the best they can. And And a parent would say, yeah, but he's a C student. And Coach Wooden's theory was, well, wait a second, but he or she's doing the best they can. If, if the best they can do is being, a, and the parents would say, no, they're not. I mean, or no, not my kid. My kid's not a C student. My kid's an A student. So, so this pyramid of success was for his way of having students understand the skills that they need to be better people, to be better students, to be better teachers, leaders, sports players, whatever it was, this pyramid of success was their way of growing and development. And so it starts with two key foundational blocks, which is hard work and enthusiasm. And there's no substitute for hard work. And no matter what we do, we're going to have to put in hard work. But hard work without enthusiasm gets old. It's hard work. So you you have to bring your own level of enthusiasm. Now think about, you know, your son when he played baseball at the sales, right? I mean, he brought his own energy and enthusiasm, right? You never had to say to him, okay, hey, you got to hustle more. It was the opposite, right? I mean, he brought that. So then the hard work, you know, and the enthusiasm kind of paid off for him. And then what ended up happening was he he generated that hard work and then that enthusiasm that led to the next parts of the building block, skill, you know, if you go through up. But then for me, the thing that I always thought was tremendous was the pinnacle of this 
pyramid of success is competitive greatness. And Coach Wooden described it as being your best when your best is needed. And that was regardless of whether it was a sporting event or whether it was a test in school or whether it was in your job or whatever your job was. Competitive greatness is being your best when your best is needed. So if you look at those building, the building blocks that are in the pyramid of success, there are all those really important qualities uh, of being a good person, which then leads to being a good leader, a good doctor, a good teacher, whatever, whatever you're a good student, whatever you're trying to accomplish, the pyramid of success gives you all those skills that help you kind of move up to that tentacle, which is competitive greatness, being your best when your best is needed. So, I, I, you know, I'm a huge Coach Wooden fan and read all his books, but when I got that chance to spend literally four hours with him mm. in his, uh, and I, uh, you have a second for a quick story. So, oh yeah, absolutely. So, so, uh, so each year the UPS had what they call the management conference and it was the top 200 leaders inside an organization that, you know, that probably 30, 35,000 manager people. And so, so they would have this conference and when you would, they would always try to, you know, have these committees that, you know, put together these different either workshops or, you know, speeches or conversations. And so I had seen Coach Wooden. I was in Southern California at the time as the district manager, and I had the chance to see Coach Wooden speak. And so I'm on one of the committees, and I said to uh, the group there, I said, hey, I just saw Coach Wooden speak. I read about him, but he's an amazing speaker. We should try to get him for our conference. So they looked at me and goes, good luck. So I, I get, get back to Southern California, and I, I call the UCLA, UCLA Athletic Department, get the assistant athletic director and said, hi, my name is Rocky Bowman. Now I'm the manager here at UPS. You know, this is what we got going on. Do you think coach Wooden would be interested? And the guy says, yeah, you know what? Here's his phone number. I wouldn't call him right away, you know, but I would send him the information that you're interested in and then wait a week or two and then call him. It'll go in his answering machine. And if he's, if he's interested, he'll call you back. So I put together this whole proposal, send it next day here, UPS, obviously. Right. And then uh, wait about two weeks. So now I, I call him back. Hey, Coach Wood and Rocky Romanello sent you this proposal, you know, but I don't hear back from him. So now it's getting late, get, you know, so they, they UPS like, hey, you know, if you don't hear from Coach Wood, we're going to have to go in a different direction. So it's a Friday at night. I call Coach Wood. Hey, Coach Wood and Rocky Romanello, I sent you this whole presentation. Coach, look, I got all, and I go through this the pyramid of success. I got all the hard work, enthusiasm. I go, I go, but Coach, I got four kids. I can really use your help. <laughs> So I leave, I, I go to, I take my son to his hockey practice and my daughter, Jean-Marie calls me up and goes, Hey dad, some old guy called you coach Wooden. I go, Oh my God. So I pull over now it's 2000. You got cell phones are still in the big bags. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, Hey coach, how are you? He goes, Hey Rocky, how are you? And, and he goes, I, he said, I said, coach, can you help me? He goes, absolutely. What, what are you doing next week? Why don't you come to my condo? So I literally went to his condo, spent four hours with him. Now what's the best part of the story? The best part of the story is at the end, I said to him, coach, you know, you know, what's your fee for all this that you're, you know, certainly whatever it is. And he looked at me, he goes, what do you mean fee? I said, well, coach, you know, I, we really appreciate what you're doing. You know, he said to me, you asked me for a favor. I absolutely don't want any fee at all. I said, oh, coach, that's really generous. Really appreciate it. I go, but we really want to do something. He, he looked at me and goes, well, would you be willing to donate to the Jimmy Valvano fund? I said, coach, absolutely. Whatever amount you want. He said, well, would you do 5,000? Now here's coach Wooden, a legend. <laughs> I said to him, we'll do better than that. And so that to me was, you know, the, such an amazing thing that he did. And it taught you that, you know, leadership is about 
being humble. Leadership is when you realize it's not about, it's never about you as the leader. It's always about the people in your care. It's never about you as the owner. It really is about all those people who are out there every single day representing your brand and representing your business and representing your brand promise. And once you realize it's not about you, everything changes. And I realized that day that it was never about Coach Wooden. I remember asking him, I said, Coach Wooden, do you ever think that there'll be another run like you had at UCLA? And he looked at me and he said, no, but it has nothing to do with me. He said, the difference is, he said, you know, in, in this era that I coached, there were, there were only a few schools on TV. You know, once you started winning, everybody wanted to go to UCLA. Now kids have so many more choices. They have so many more opportunities. He said, and it'll be difficult to put together those kinds of teams because, you know, these kids have so many more choices. But he never said to me, oh, no, I'm the greatest coach of all time. Absolutely not. He said, no, it has nothing to do with me. You know, I was fortunate to be in this era. Now, look, you and I both know it wasn't fortunate. He was just an outstanding coach. But the fact that that's what he believed, I, I've never – that was probably one of those moments for me in my development that was probably in the top two or three moments I had as a, as a, as a, as a leader or as a po person who had a responsibility of leading people. I took a step back and said, okay, it's never about you, Rocky. It's always about your people. It's mm. an amazing story. Could you tell me one more? Uh, I love your Joe Scaffone story. Can you tell everybody about Joe Scaffone? Oh, my buddy Joe. Yes. So, uh, so one of the things I think that's an important uh, aspect of leadership is the ability to not stop at the first right answer. And what makes you, I think, leaders, you know, understand that, you know, how do I challenge you to not stop at the first right answer, but in a way that doesn't take away from your, your bringing me that answer. Because I always felt like that when people would bring me an idea, and Ryan brings me this idea, and then I look at him and say, yeah, but what if this, or as I'm challenging you. So years ago, this character was created, Joe Scaffone. So I would say to him, hey, Ryan, that's a good idea, but you think Joe Scaffone thinks that's a good idea? And, and you would smile and we would laugh a little bit. And But that was my way of challenging you to maybe not stop at that first right answer or look past that first right answer. And so Joe Scaffone became this character. In fact, you know, throughout my career, people would come to meetings and say, hey, I already covered this with Joe. I'd be like, oh, that's a good, that's okay, but maybe I should listen to it too, you know, kind of idea. <laughs> so someone, you know, so people would always say to me, well, who's Joe Scaffone? So Joe Scaffone, I'll tell you a little bit about Joe Scaffone. So Joe Scaffone is this guy who said he knew everybody. So one day my friend says, hey, Joe, you say you know everybody. Do you know Derek Jeter? Of course I know Derek Jeter. So they go to Yankee Stadium and, you know, we're on, they're on the sidelines and Derek Jeter looks up and says, oh my God. Joe Scaffone's here, walks over and shakes Joe Scaffone's hand. So my friend said, that's pretty impressive. He knows Derek Jeter. Hey, yeah, I wonder if he knows the President of the United States. So he says, hey, they, uh, that was pretty good, but do you know uh, the President of the United States? And Joe said, of course I do. So they get on an airplane, they go to a, uh, they go to a conference, uh, and all of a sudden, not a conference, you know, the question and answer period there, press conference, and the President looks up and says, stop everything. Joe Scaffone's here. So now my friend's really impressed. He goes, the President, he knows... Derek Jeter, he says, hey, do you know the Pope? He goes, the Pope. Me and the Pope are very tight. Come on. So they get on an airplane. They fly to the Vatican. Big audience. Pope's out there talking. And my friend goes, I, I don't think he knows you. Joe says, look, if I get up there and the Pope recognizes me, will you believe me? He goes, of course he does. I will. So Joe goes up. Pope turns around. Mun on to me. Joe Scaffone's here. And gives him a big hug. 
Well, with that, there's a big commotion in the crowd, and my friend, you know, my friend faints. And Joe runs over to him and says, "What happened? What happened? You okay?" He goes, "Hey, look, I was impressed when the Pope knew you, but when the guy next to me said, who's that next to Joe Scafone?'" <laughs> I couldn't believe it. So Joe Scafone became this guy who knew everything, kind of knew everybody. But Joe was the guy who challenged you in a polite, positive way, not to stop at the first right answer. So that was my way of saying, great idea. But what if you look at it in a different way, just to challenge you? Now, the hard part is that it's the right answer, right? So I'm challenging you maybe not to stop at that first right answer, only because if you look past that first right answer, Maybe you'll find a deeper, wider answer. Maybe you'll find an answer that you uncover some un unintended consequences of a decision. So that that was it. So that became Joe Scafone. And when I wrote my book, it was easy for me to write it as Joe Scafone. Then it would be the person who says, I would do this or I would do that. Now it's Joe Scafone. Joe Scafone's helping you. <laughs> That's a great story. Um, with with everything going on right now with, with the virus, um, and it's affecting, obviously, the business world, do you what what changes do you see once we come out of this for 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 large and small businesses? Well, I think I think these, as you know, these are very difficult times, and and through difficult times, whether what we're going through right now or difficult times in business, I mean, you go through you know as an entrepreneur, you go through some of those difficult periods as well, right? I mean, maybe not to this extreme, but difficulties. And I think the key, the first key is don't let your highs get too high and your lows get too lows, because if you get your highs are too high you're going to have a low period. And so the gap between the high and the low gets much wider. So if you can kind of keep that gap closer together by not getting too high or not getting too low, that certainly helps you through this. I think the other thing that's important is always to understand when you're looking at your priorities in a difficult time, you know, understand, put things in the category of nice to do and need to do. You know, as people are going through these difficulties right now, when it, you know, you, you know, with, with financials or money or whatever, you know, you're, I think it's important to understand what are the need to do things I need to do. I need to do these things and what are the nice to do. And unfortunately, you can't get to a lot of nice to do things right now, maybe, but you'll get to them at some point. And so I think that that's also important. So I feel like those are two like critical steps that always help me through difficult times. And I'm going through those same things right now. We've had, we had three consulting jobs that were just really doing really well that are not, we're not doing them right now. So it's okay. We'll, we'll get through this, but what are the nice to do need to do things? And, and then, so I think that, I think that's what's important. I think that it's going to be interesting. There's going to become new businesses that come out of this. And I, you know, I think I'll give a quick example. I think that when you look at on the healthcare side of things, I think you'll see that, you know, you may see more of the teledoc scenario where people before would have been a little bit nervous to maybe do a teledoc, you know, get on the phone and talk to their doctor as part of like a visit. Today they're doing it. And, you mm -hmm. know, they're like, okay, this worked. I, I felt okay. So that may be, that may be step one of, of care that we never thought, you know, we thought sounded good, but people were afraid to do it. I think that that teledoc scenario may stay there a little bit longer. I think that, um, I, I think when, when, when com companies think, think about their, you know, uh, how they're prepared for disaster preparedness or business continuity, maybe a better way of putting it. Everybody, you know, it's like when, when the school said, okay, everybody, we're going to go to online learning. Well, that sounded really good, but it was a much more difficult process. And so now to be more prepared, I think you'll see more online learning. You'll see that, you know, maybe they'll just, you know, think about how we went to school versus how we may go to school in the future. You know, and if you, if you, you know, you're learning now that, well, 
you know, maybe, maybe we don't need spring breaks. Maybe what we need is, you know, that week that you want to give them off, they, it's all from home then maybe. And, and then maybe you shorten the school year or, or whatever. I'm just, I don't know if that's right or wrong. I mean, but I think that you'll see things like that. It'll be, they'll be different. So there'll be some very good things that come out of it. There'll be some industries that, you know, will struggle and won't make it. So, so if you think about it from this perspective, there's three types of companies that'll come out of this. There'll be the company that comes out stronger absolutely stronger they'll they'll have understood where what are the things they need to do to be more efficient it's like you you'll learn about your business and as difficult as the time is you'll come out stronger you'll be better faster leaner because you'll understand you know you'll come out stronger then there'll be the companies that won't be changed much uh they may be a little bit you know they may do a little bit more this way or that way but then there's the third company that won't make it and so, you know, you hope that's the smallest number that it could be is the companies that don't make it. But there are those companies that won't make it for whatever reason. But I, but there is that company that's going to come out of this much better, much stronger. And I think that if if as a small business owner and even as a large corporation, if you can understand what are the things that you need to do to come out of this better, faster, you know, stronger than you ever were, then you're just positioning yourself for that. Okay, boom. You know, they it's ready to go. Let's, you know, let's tighten our sneakers. We're moving. And, and you, and you just position yourself through this whole process. And then you learn some things and you're going to learn, you know, what are the new industries that are out there? How do I participate in those industries? You know, I think today most people realize that, you know, that they, they probably need to have a smart home in terms of uh, how is my internet connectivity? You know, uh, is everything connected? I mean, there's going to be things like that that come out of it. So I think that there'll be some positive things that happen. The difficulty is, you know, the, how difficult it is on everyone's family, the, the loss of lives. That, that'll never, that, that's all, always, you know, never justify any of the changes. But as you go through these difficult periods, you, there, we will learn some things and there will be new industries that come out of it. So that's perfect. I, I agree with you 100%. Um, and I also, you know, I think it's going to, the strong is going to survive and the people who are proactive and, um, try to stay ahead of the curve. I think they're, they're the ones that are going to be, um, stronger on the end of it. Like you just said, uh, what, what can we look forward for, uh, from you this year? What were your goals and what are your goals now for 2020? Well, thank you, sir, for asking. So for me, there's three legs of a school, three legs of the stool of our company, 360 Management Services. One is the keynote speaking. You know, I had some really uh, wonderful conferences uh, set up for keynote speaking. So um, we'll, we'll continue to grow that piece of the business. And when we come back, you know, we'll, we'll probably have those rescheduled or we'll sign new conferences. But I enjoy the keynote speaking. And for me, that's a that's sort of like, you know, lecture kind of teaching almost. So I enjoy it. Uh, uh, and then we have a training part of our organization and we do a lot of training, especially with small businesses. I, I, I thoroughly enjoy working with small businesses. I feel like, you know, they're the backbone of, of our company, entrepreneurs. I mean, I have such great respect for them. So uh, we build, you know, we have like standard classes we do, but we also build, uh, build training classes or training workshops for for different organizations and, and and whatever their needs are inside the organization. And the third part of our stool is our uh, process improvement, we, consulting kinds of business, more traditional consulting, but we like to spend in the process improvement. So once you fix something, it stays fixed versus, you know, keep coming back and fixing things over again. So, so for us, the goal, the goal is to continue to grow that piece of the business. When we come back, we'll, 
you know what? Well, I'm sure the keynote speaking will start going again. I've been doing a lot of podcasts. It keeps me very busy. I enjoy being interviewed. I, I feel like it's a way to have conversation, meet people like you and so many wonderful people out there that are doing such wonderful, you know, wonderful things out there. And so for me, the podcast is a way for me to have a, a great conversation. I mean, I enjoy it. We talk about different topics. So that, that, that's been what's what that's been what's been keeping me busy through this through this difficult time and of course uh trying to stay out of trouble here at home <laughs> it's very therapeutic too i i uh, if anybody hasn't done a podcast and can be interviewed or or interview somebody it, it definitely helps to talk to somebody every day uh regardless of what you're talking about um where can we find you rocky where can everybody find you so our website is www. It's the number three and the word 60, S-I-X-T-Y, managementservices.com. Um, it's a very interactive site. Uh, if you go under the media section, there's probably 78 or 79 podcasts loaded up. Yours will be loaded up as soon as we're, you know, it's shortly. And then, so, and they're all under different topics. So it's not the same topic. I mean, there's about 18, I think, individual business topics that, you know, I've been interviewed for you know, succession planning, broad-based leadership, well, you know, those kinds of different topics. So you can scroll under different topics and hear the conversation about those different topics. Uh, the book is called Tighten the Lug Nuts, The Principles of Balanced Leadership. Uh, so the book, uh, the book's fulfilled through Amazon. They do a great job. They're still fulfilling. So, uh, so that you can order the book there that way as well. And then of course you spoke before, there's probably close to 50 YouTube videos on our uh, video page. And of course the John Wooden Coach Wooden interview is also on the website. So uh, uh, if, you, if you get a chance, uh, give me your thoughts. Shoot me an email. Let me know your thoughts on it. So uh, absolutely. Uh, but but uh, so that's the best way to get me. My email is Rocky R O C K Y Romanella R O M A N E L L A at gmail dot com. So and then there's a contact me on the website. I I answer all the contact me's myself. And if you have any questions or any of your guests have any questions that they send you, I absolutely would have no problem, you know, answering those or speaking with them as well. So awesome. And we'll put all your links up so everybody can find you, um, especially to the book. Uh, I really appreciate Rocky. It was, it was great. Uh, definitely going to help out, uh, any type of business. Uh, you have some great advice and stories. Oh, thanks. Well, the book's, the book's full of stories. So the one thing I can guarantee you, you'll smile at least as you're reading the book. You'll have some good times listening, uh, reading the book and going through some of the stories. That's it. Well, I appreciate it. And we'll talk to you soon. Well, thank you, sir. Pleasure. Be safe out there. Absolutely. You too. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to my podcast. If you're looking for social media content for your contracting business, painting contractors, carpenters, electricians, any type of contractor, please check us out on Instagram at Amato Media or check us out on LinkedIn. We can definitely help you all out. So have a great day.